with Easter just a couple weeks ago. So if you would, open your Bibles with me to John chapter 21, and we're going to see a really beautiful account of a conversation that happens and develops between Jesus and Peter. This is one of the most beautiful snapshots in the entire Bible, I think, of redemption, because it shows us this incredible story of how Jesus forgives us when we totally fail, and he gives us a new calling, and he calls us to follow himself. It's a beautiful snapshot. Peter, as I've been studying this, has really stuck out to me as a character who is uh, just fascinating because he, he seems to be kind of like Samwise in Lord of the Rings. He's all enthusiasm. He's all zeal. He's, he, he's just ready for anything. He's a man for, for action until he realizes that he doesn't actually have the strength and the wisdom to accomplish anything that he actually set out to do. He's constantly falling on his face, constantly putting his foot in his mouth, and this resonates with me a great deal because I, I, I feel like I'm often that same guy, just full of zeal and energy and lacking in the actual strength to accomplish the things that I set out to do. Um, so I think this is a passage, honestly, for all of us. I think it's a passage for all of us because if we think hard enough about it, we can identify with ways that we've set out to do great things and we've failed. And so this morning, I want to read for us the word of the Lord from John 21, verses 15 through 22, and then we will begin. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is it to you? You follow me. So the first thing that I want to show you from this passage that this passage clearly teaches is that we are called to follow the shepherd. Okay? So what happens between Peter and Jesus in this, like I said, is one of the most beautiful snapshots in Scripture of redemption because it comes after one of the most profound failures in Scripture, right? And so we have to understand how this is a really loaded conversation that includes three questions from Jesus, three answers from Peter, and three calls from Jesus to action. And so these are incredibly weighty questions, incredibly weighty questions, and understanding the relationship between Jesus and Peter is really helpful. Jesus calls Peter from being a fisherman 
to being his disciple. And immediately he's, he's ushered into the inner uh, sort of sanctum, the inner, the inner world of Jesus' disciples. He's actually the, one of the most trusted disciples. He was there on the, uh, the transfiguration. He was on the road to Emmaus as Jesus opened up the scriptures after the resurrection, showing who he truly is. He's witnessing miracles that other disciples aren't seeing, and he's constantly being referred to in, in great ways by Jesus of like, I'm, you, you are the rock on whom I will build this church. So Jesus has this incredibly close relationship with Jesus, which makes his denial that we just read about all the more potent, doesn't it? So this incredible intimacy and all the bold assertions that Peter has made shows all the more clearly the way that Peter has failed. In verse 15 it says, Jesus asked this question, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And when he uses the word more than these, he's saying, do you love me more than these other disciples love me? Because you said you did, and you said you weren't going to deny me. Even if they did, is that true? So he puts that question to him. But I want you to notice that he refers to, to Peter as what? Simon, son of John. Remember, Jesus changed his name when he called him from his old life of being a fisherman. His name given was Simon, son of John. And Jesus refers to him by his old name. After Jesus has changed his identity, he refers to him by this old name because he relates in an old way of living. Because he's denied him. And because Jesus then finds him with the other disciples fishing, going back to the old life that they knew. He may have been contemplating. He may have been wrestling. He may have been trying to figure out, what do I do now in light of the resurrection? We don't know exactly, but we can say this. He wasn't on mission for Jesus. He was fishing. And so he calls him by this old identity, this old name, and he does it in a repetitive way. He does it in a way that mirrors the, the threefold denial in itself. He asks him three times, do you love me? As if to say, you, you, you denied me three times, Peter. And by the third time, it catches up with Peter what's happening. And it says that Peter is grieved. So it's dawning on him that Jesus is referring to the way that he has denied him and has shown that his, his honestly, his faith is nullified, is void. His, his role as an apostle is sort of voided out because of the way he's denied Jesus, showing that he doesn't actually love him. And so he's grieved by this. He's broken He's a man who understands that his actions have spoken louder than the words that he's offered. And yet, in the flow of this conversation, he gives some really profound answers to these questions. Really critical answers. Three times he says, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You know that I love you. And this is really important because this is the critical question that we all have to answer. And it determines how we live this life and the life to come. It determines everything about who we are. Do you love Jesus or do you not? That's the most elemental question that we take from the Scriptures is that God reveals Himself as a God of love who brings sinners to Himself. And in response, He, he asks us, do you love me? This is a black and white question. This, this is either a yes or it's a no. We either have a relationship with Jesus based on this question being answered, yes, or we don't. And in conjunction with how we actually live our lives, we can testify to the fact that, yes, I do love the Lord. 
So it's an incredibly important question because it determines our relationship with Jesus. But it's also an incredibly important question because Peter is showing that Jesus already knows the answer. We have to remember that. Jesus already knows because our love for him is actually a gift from him. At another place in the Gospels, Jesus asked Peter, Peter, who do you say that I am? And he says, you, you are the Christ. And Jesus says, blessed are you, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but rather my Father who is in heaven. Peter's faith was given to him, was revealed to him. And we have to keep that in mind, because this is not about how strong, how, how good we are, how much faith we have to overcome the world around us. We rely on God giving us our faith, and we rely on His strength living through us. So what's happening in this conversation, this incredibly intimate, beautiful conversation, is that Jesus is drawing out of Peter what he already knows. He knows that he loves him. As Peter testifies three times saying, you know all things. You know that I love you. And so this, from Jesus, is a loving invitation for Peter to show up. To show up. Jesus he wasn't looking for anything from Peter. He didn't need to prove himself. Jesus already knew that he loved him. This makes me wonder if Jesus does this really just so that Peter himself can hear him say, I love you, Lord. Jesus knew. But somewhere along the way, between the denial and the fishing and perhaps reverting back to this former way of life, Jesus sees, I think, Peter, in this place of embarrassment. I think perhaps there could have been shame there. I think maybe it could have been that Peter had felt that his apostle role has been voided. And Jesus does the most loving thing. He gives him a new calling. Jesus reinstates Peter and gives him a new calling. He calls him to feed my sheep, to feed my lambs, to tend to my sheep. And so, in this, Jesus reinstates Peter as a shepherd, and he asks him to act like himself. And that's the whole call for all of us, isn't it? For, for us to live out the Christian life, for us to be disciples of Christ, is for us to emulate and live like Jesus. Jesus happens to present himself as a shepherd throughout the Gospels. And so, Peter also is called into that role in this setting as a shepherd. So this is a picture of, of forgiveness. This is a picture of a shared labor, incredible trust that's being offered from Jesus to Peter as he's bestowing upon him the responsibility of whose sheep? Jesus' sheep. He's entrusting his sheep to Peter, the guy who had totally failed just before this. The role of shepherding is incredibly demanding. Um, in, in this time period, the, the herds would have been immense uh, and couldn't have really been contained by fences anyhow, but there weren't the kind of fences back then like there are today. So this would have required a shepherd to be constantly watching over the flock, living outdoors constantly on the clock. This is a picture of complete and utter focus forsaking all other things. 
And Jesus is asking Peter to do this very thing which he's already done for him and for you and for me. The call that he gives him is to feed my lambs. The lambs. This is a picture of the most vulnerable of all of the sheep. This is a picture of even the children. Jesus calls the children to himself, remember? This is maybe a picture of the hurting, the weak, the wounded. This is a picture uh, maybe of, of a nursing mother who's taking care of her lambs with strength and compassion. Jesus does that for us. He calls Peter to tend my sheep. We can understand that in another way. Shepherd my sheep. So this is a picture of overseeing the entire flock. Constantly keeping your eyes on the horizon. Seeing what's happening with the flock. Making sure that nobody wanders off. Making sure that no wolves come in. Making sure that the, the flock is safe and well nourished. Making sure that everything is going as it needs to be going. Correcting, rebuking, training. He also calls him to feed my sheep. Causing them to grow. Sheep don't grow unless they're fed. In fact, they die. They die pretty quick. Their full-time job, those sheep, is just to eat. If you put any number of sheep together for any short period of time, they won't have anything to eat because it'll all be gone. So the life of a shepherd and the life of a sheep is constantly in motion. You're constantly moving. You're constantly seeking after the next green pasture, seeking after water, seeking after safe shelter. So, to be a shepherd, you have to constantly be moving your people, moving the flock towards something of safe, of nourishment. This is a beautiful picture that Jesus gives him to call him to do exactly what Jesus had already done for you and for me. Jesus does this for us perfectly. He calls himself in John 10 the good shepherd. He says that he is the one who lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus, as the good shepherd, lays down his life for the sheep. And we know that he is good just for this reason. Because he's willing to trade his life for us. The good shepherd is willing to lay down his life so that we can have life. And this is reason to love because he first loved us. So when we answer the question, do, do we love the Lord? If we don't have this in mind, the context of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, it would be quite easy to say no. I mean, why would I? So we have to see the beauty and the majesty of who Jesus is. We have to see why he is so lovable, why the gospel message is so appealing, because it saves sinners like you and me. Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep so that they may live. And this calls Peter... And it calls us to follow the shepherd. The second thing I want us to look at is what this following entails. What it costs us. The Christian life is never in Scripture referred to as something that's easy, is it? It's actually quite the opposite. The cost of following is quite great. Let's look at verses 18 through 19. I'll show you what it says here. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. 
This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Simply put, the cost of following is a call to die. When Jesus says to him, you will stretch out your hands, he's using an ancient expression that we don't understand today because we're not ancient, but the expression is that of crucifixion. He is saying, you are going to be crucified over me. The guy who was just resurrected from the dead, Peter believes this, certainly. And he understands that one day he is going to be crucified. And we know from from historical records that he actually was. Peter was, in fact, crucified. Jesus calls him to follow me. We have to understand that the cost of following is great. And it, it, it causes us, it necessitates us to forfeit our lives. And we may not forfeit our lives literally in that sense, but we have, to, we have to be willing to forfeit our lives in all that we do because our life, once we take on that identity, is about God's glory. It's about reflecting Him and His kingdom, the great shepherd, not about us. So, Jesus says in another place, whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Not worthy of me. So we have to understand that to follow after the shepherd means that we do the shepherd's stuff. We we do exactly what the good shepherd did and we lay down our life for others, for himself. So here in America, we don't have the kind of persecution that they had back then. And uh, hopefully we never will. Um, We don't have crucifixions happening around us right now, that at least we know of. What does dying look like in your life? What do you think dying should look like in your life on behalf of the Lord? So, This brings us to understanding that really all things can be understood as a way of dying. That we should be, the cost of following entails forsaking everything else or a willingness to forsake everything else. Because if Jesus is not worthy of this in our lives, then we are not worthy of him. If if Jesus is not worthy of us forsaking all other things for him, then we're actually not worthy of him. Some of us may actually worship, uh, instead of Jesus, our schedules or our plans. Jesus addresses this in another place where he calls someone to follow him and they say, Lord, uh, let me bury my dead. I'll be right back. And he says, "Let let the dead bury themselves. For us today, perhaps it's a picture of a busy season of life. I'll start following Jesus after this season's over. I'm too busy. Work's really pressing. Perhaps you may think at times, I think, I think after my kids get out of diapers, that would be a good time for me to get really serious about my faith. After the next PCS, I'll be in a good place. I can finally start following after Jesus. Get plugged into a local church. It's going to be great. Jesus must be Lord of our schedules. If we're too busy 
for Jesus, we're just plain too busy. Jesus must be the Lord of our schedules. Some of us have a tendency to worship relationships instead of worshiping the Lord. Jesus addresses this in another place as well. He says that he comes to bring peace, not, not peace, but a sword. He says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Pretty, pretty striking words there. I have seen so many people struggle with this very thing. That they would prioritize the culture that they come from, the family that they come from, uh, that the threat of rejection from possibly following after Jesus is too great for them. What this ultimately means is that the people that I'm referring to, I've talked to in this sense, have shown that they actually prefer the relationships over their parents or their children more than they do a relationship with Jesus. They don't have room for it. So we have to have a willingness to forsake these relationships so that we can have a relationship with Jesus. Jesus must also be Lord of our relationships. That's the cost. We have to be willing to trade those things. Some of us struggle perhaps with worshiping money, status, power, control, influence. Jesus addresses this. He tells this parable of the hidden treasure. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. This is a picture of totality. It's all or nothing. Jesus demands that he is either our true treasure that we're willing to trade all things for, or he's no treasure to us at all. So Jesus must be Lord of our money and treasures because he himself is the true treasure. So the cost of following Jesus demands that true followers are willing to forsake all things for himself. But isn't there a tendency to compare ourselves to those around us? That's exactly what happens with Peter in verse 20. Peter compares himself to John right away. After Jesus had reinstated him, offered him this beautiful picture of love and forgiveness and giving him a new calling and sharing with him the ministry of shepherding his sheep, he compares. He's looking for a way out. Look at what it says in verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who he'd leaned back against during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that's going to, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, that's John, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what's it to you? You follow me. As soon as he is given this new charge, this new command, this new forgiveness, in such, such Peter fashion, he, he starts comparing himself to John, looking for a way out. Because he's understanding the reality of the call is to crucifixion. Not just the death, but the life of forsaking all things for Jesus. He understands the cost, and he's looking for a way out. He doesn't like it one bit. He doesn't like it one bit. I think we have a tendency to do that too. We ask, why me? Lord, why me? Why? I can't take it. This burden is too big. You know, God doesn't create sin. 
In no way. We do believe that God is sovereign, but God does not create sin, but he does ask us to be faithful in this sinful world, right? And so, how often is it true that we will look around and say, why, why me? Why would you ask me to deal with this? Infertility. Miscarriages. Cancer. Job loss. Financial ruin. These things are all around us. They're in our very lives. I struggle with anxiety, with depression. Lord, how am I supposed to deal with those things? Why, 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 why is it so easy for the Smiths to cross the fence? The guy in the corner of the church, why is it so easy for him? Why me? Jesus sees John, or I'm sorry, Peter comparing himself to John in this way. And look at the way he responds. It's a beautiful response. Jesus says in verse 22, If it is my will that you remain until I come, or that John would remain until I come, what is that to you, Peter? You follow me. So my commentary on that would be this. Jesus is saying, it's none of your business. You, you ain't got a horse in this race, brother. This is none of your business. I'm the shepherd. Who are you? You're the sheep. Focus on me. Peter, focus on me. Don't look around. He calls for this singular focus. And that's what it takes because this is a daunting call. The way that we're called to follow after the shepherd the way that we are supposed to be willing to forsake all things, this is a daunting call, the life of the Christian, those who would follow after Christ. And that causes us to have an un unbelievable dependence on Jesus, on the good shepherd who would lay down his life for his sheep. We have to be dependent on him because his strength is sufficient for us. Not only does He give us His Spirit, He gives us His promise. He says, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So we have to rely on Him. This is not about how hard we try. This isn't about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. This is about relying on the power of God working in your life because He's there and He's doing it. If you have accepted Christ in your life and you're living out of that, this is the picture. It's a picture of dependency. So, as way of application, hopefully we have some application already, but as way of specific application moving forward here, I want us to see that Peter represents all of us. And then also Peter represents some of us. So first I'm going to talk about how he represents all of us. I mean, he's a failure, right? He's, he's a profound failure. He's, he's chief of failures. Um, but where Peter is a total failure, he finds total forgiveness, doesn't he? And that's the gospel. That's the beauty of the gospel, is that whereas he is a total failure, he finds total forgiveness. True followers do fail. And yet, they continue to follow, right? Peter was told by Jesus that you will betray me. You will deny me three times. He knew ahead of time, three times. Jesus expects you and me to fail. How freeing is that? How freeing is that that we have nothing to prove? Truly, 
It's all done. We are free to enjoy the grace of the gospel and fail with a beautiful messiness all around us. That's the gospel. That's, that's the church in community. That's us just being a mosaic. This, this beautiful picture of shattered glass and, and, and tile all making this beautiful picture. That's the church. So Peter represents us in that. He also represents us in a, having a great need for a shepherd. Peter needed a shepherd. He needed Jesus to speak into his life and to walk him and escort him towards the way of righteousness. He needed that. And so do we. We need a shepherd. We need the good shepherd. Peter represents us as well in that he's given a profound calling to be as Christ. And this is a full-time calling. Now, we may not all be called to full-time vocational ministry, but make no mistake about it, we are all called to full-time Christian mission and worship. There is no part-time Christianity. None at all, please. There is no part-time Christianity. To be a Christian is to be one who is of Christ, Christian. That's an identity statement. That's who we are, and that's how we act. And we fail, but that's who we are. So, Peter represents all of us in all those things. Now, Peter also represents some of us. Peter is called to shepherd in a particular way. Peter was an apostle. This is a role that is no longer um, relevant, if you will, in the church today. We do not have apostles The apostles were those who Jesus surrounded himself by, the disciples who witnessed the resurrection, who who witnessed the resurrected Christ, okay? They built the church. The apostles are gone. And yet, the closest thing we have to that right now is the role of elders. So the role of elders is a role of rule and shepherding, of governing the flock of maintaining order, of protecting it from heresy, of watching it and, and flour- causing it to flourish, leading the people towards safe pasture and nourishment. It's, it's a picture of shepherding and oversight. And I mention that because I think it's in the text. I think it's in the passage. But I also mention it because we're going to be opening up officer nominations in the next couple weeks. And if you see people around you who you think represent what it is to be a follower of Christ, forsaking all things, and you're willing to follow as a shepherd, then perhaps you nominate that person. That's a picture that we have from Scripture of what it looks like to shepherd well. Following after Jesus, the good shepherd, Peter's called to shepherd. And so we have shepherds among us. So, in the same way that Jesus asked Peter this profound question, do you love me? I want to ask that question to you this morning. Do you love Jesus? It's a simple question. It has has a profoundly critical importance to it, though. Do you love Jesus? So if your answer to that is no, I don't. If your answer to that is maybe, I'm struggling. Or if your answer to that is, you know, I'm, I'm really not sure. I want to invite you to a conversation about that. 
I want to invite you to, to talk through that with some of the people here, maybe an elder, maybe a pastor, uh, maybe your friend. I just want to encourage you to not be alone in that. You're welcome here. If you're a doubter or, or a cynic, you're welcome here. I want to encourage you to ask hard questions. And I would love to just know, why is that? Why, why don't you love Jesus? What's, what do you feel like is that hurdle, that hang-up? What is the thing that's blocking that? I'd just love to hear more about that. And for those of you who would answer that question, say, yes, yes, I do love the Lord. Jesus' call to Peter is the same call for you and for me today. And it's simply this, follow me. Let's pray together.